thank you, Laura, for uh, praying for us and for reading uh, that uh, for us as well. My name's Paul Hallam. I'm an assistant minister here, though you may have never met me before, which is quite strange. Uh, and that's because I work here a couple of days during the week. And uh, as part of my job, I do, well, I do a few things. Uh, I write our Bible study materials that we use in our growth groups, uh, but I also do our graphic design. Uh, usually, I'm at church on a Sunday at Minchinbury Anglican Church, which is out towards uh, Penrith, Mount Druitt, uh, that sort of way. And, uh, but it's great to be here today with you. Uh, my family's here as well, so feel free to come and say hello to us uh, over morning tea. But that's, uh, that's the job I do here. Uh, it's not my first job. My first job, my first night of my first job, was an interesting experience. I was 18 and I was a waiter at Penrith Panthers Leagues Club. Uh, I've never been a waiter before this night. I have a friendly smile, but absolutely zero experience. But here I am, first night on the job, and what's the, what's the event? It's a wedding reception, right? just a small little thing. Well, to say that I'm feeling nervous is a serious understatement. And so the night begins, we get through the main meals with no problems, and now we're serving the after-dinner drinks. And that is when everything goes wrong. One table that I'm looking after orders a bottle of wine, and so there I am with my tray, uh, with a bottle of wine, and wine glasses all around, balanced perfectly. And I, I reach the table, and I begin to put the wine glasses down on the table. And of course, you can imagine where this is going. The bottle begins to wobble as my sort of weight shifts. Then it begins to tip, and a whole bottle of red wine falls all over the floor at a wedding reception. Now... Let me just say that my table was a little afraid of me for the rest of that night. But there was my first night on the job. And I did it for another four years, so something must have gone right there. Well, this morning, as we've heard, we are beginning our sermon series on Jeremiah. And I don't know how you feel about looking at Jeremiah. Uh, I know some of you may be feeling a little bit daunted, especially if you are leading a growth group on this. But we're going to be looking at this book uh, during our sermons for the next nine weeks and in our growth groups, and it's a really great book. It's a book that is encouraging. It's a book that seems scary, but we will get a lot of encouragement from it. And what we see this morning in our first chapter is that God gives Jeremiah a job. He gives him a job to do, and it's a, it's a big job. It's a daunting job. It's a scary job. It's an important job. It's a job that would have a huge impact on Jeremiah's life. But not just his life. It would have this monumental impact on the life of his nation, Judah, and also an impact on the entire world. But if we want to understand the book of Jeremiah, we need to understand Jeremiah and the history of God's people. We need to understand how Jeremiah fits in with the Bible's big story. Now, that video did such a great job, didn't it, that I almost feel like I don't have to do anything because it just did such a great job, but I'm going to give it a go. See, we need to understand how Jeremiah fits in with the history that we started looking at, the history of the kings of Israel, and that's what the book of Jeremiah does right at the very beginning. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 1. 
the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So we're given three names there at the start, three kings. Josiah, who we heard about a bit earlier in the video, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Three kings of God's people. And Jeremiah, he lived and he served during the reigns of these three kings. Now, if you've been at church for a little bit, then you're probably familiar with some of the kings in the Bible. There's King David, the famous giant slayer of Goliath. There's King Solomon, wealthy and wise with many wives. But after that, maybe your knowledge of God's kings and the history of God's people gets a little bit hazy, gets a bit vague. Well, I'm not going to go through the whole history of the kings, but to put it simply, most of the kings are a bad bunch. When you boil it down, most of the kings are are evil kings. They ignore God's word and they lead his people into sin. Now, of course, with any rule, there is always the exception to the rule and there are a few exceptions amongst God's kings. Josiah, who we heard about in the video, was a good king. He reigned for 31 years. He righted the wrongs of his predecessors But we've got to understand that Josiah is an anomaly. Josiah is the godly exception to the wicked norm. And Josiah died in 609 BC, and then his sons followed him. We have Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. And what do they do? Well, they follow the evil pattern of their ancestors. So the history of God's people, it's a bit like a train. It's a train speeding down the tracks, except this train is heading towards a broken bridge. Josiah managed to hit the brakes on the train, to slow it down. But then after Josiah, his sons come and, and they speed it back up. You know, if you're thinking about an old, uh, old train there, they're you know, shoveling coal into the fire, getting the engines burning. Uh, or if you're thinking of a modern train, they're pushing the lever and the accelerator. They're speeding things up. They reverse everything that their father had done. And so the people of Judah are on this deadly track, getting faster and faster, closer and closer to that broken bridge. See, verse 3 tells us that under these three kings, the people are heading towards exile. So that's that's the situation. God's people are heading towards disaster. God's judgment is just around the bend. That's the situation. But during this situation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is appointed by God. Look at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 
I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. See, God has chosen Jeremiah. God has chosen him. And notice in in these two verses when God had chosen Jeremiah. We see God had picked Jeremiah even before he was born. God had set his eyes on Jeremiah even before his conception as he was formed in the womb. God had set Jeremiah apart. God had, had singled him out. God had picked him, had chosen him to do a job. And it's a job that he was quite literally born to do. Jeremiah is appointed by God to be a prophet. Now, it's worth pausing here and, and just asking the question, and, and it might feel like a basic question, but it's an important one. What is a prophet? What is a prophet? Well, it's not a small job. It's a big job, and, and Jeremiah knows this, and I think that's one of the reasons why he tries to wriggle out of it in verse 6 by saying, I'm too young. Well, what is a prophet? A prophet speaks for God. When God had something to say to his people, he spoke through a prophet. And that's what we see in verse 7. Verse 7, the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. And so as a prophet, Jeremiah must go where God tells him to go. God says, go here. Jeremiah has to go there. God says, say this. Jeremiah needs to say that. When the prophet speaks, it's the same as God speaking. And that's what the vision of verse 9 is all about. You see that vision in verse 9 where God reaches out his hand and he touches Jeremiah's mouth. It's this powerful visual image of God taking his words and putting them in Jeremiah's mouth. Jeremiah's words are now God's words. But notice in verse 10 that the words that Jeremiah speaks, that he will speak, are powerful words. Verse 10. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now this is important because sometimes we think of prophets like they're fortune tellers. You know, they're, they're predicting the future the way that, uh, that we might do with the weather. But look closely at what God says in verse 10. He says, Today... I appoint you, Jeremiah, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. See, Jeremiah isn't just saying what's going to happen. He isn't just predicting what's going to happen or telling it ahead of time. God appoints Jeremiah over nations. That is, Jeremiah isn't just saying what's going to happen. Jeremiah is making it happen. When Jeremiah speaks, he will uproot nations. His words will tear down kingdoms. His words will destroy and overthrow. It's Jeremiah who is doing these things. His words will destroy, but they will also create. When Jeremiah speaks, he will build and he will plant. Now, these are powerful words. Now, we love 
the feeling of power, don't we? Of having uh, ability to do the things that we want to do. There's something uh, invigorating about feeling powerful. And you feel it especially after you come home from a shopping trip to Bunnings. Right? You come home from Bunnings and you've got your chainsaw. You know, you've got your power drill. There we go. Uh, you've got your lawn edger, maybe it's your hedge trimmer. And you are just, at that moment, you are brimming with power, potential. You know, imagine power to just tear down branches of trees. Not just branches, entire trees just down with ease. You have power to demolish bushes, power to destroy, and of course, power to build. You have the power to, to build a cubby house, the power to construct a new veranda, the power to plant a new garden bed, power to destroy, power to build. See, Jeremiah's words will be like that. They will be powerful words. Words that will shake the world. Now, what is it about Jeremiah's words that give them this sort of power? Well, it's because they're God's words. Remember, God touched his hand to Jeremiah's mouth. God put his words into Jeremiah's mouth so that when he speaks, God speaks. When Jeremiah speaks, God acts. And so Jeremiah will speak with power. And so far, Jeremiah has been appointed by God. But then the passage moves on and we see that Jeremiah is strengthened by God because Jeremiah is going to need courage if he's going to speak God's word. He's going to need courage because this word is a hard word. It's a message of God's judgment. Have a look at verse 13. Verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdom, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. So this is a hard word, isn't it? It isn't the message of therapeutic deism, you know, that, that feel-good self-esteem boost. You're great. God loves you. God has great plans for you which Jeremiah actually says later on, but remember, context matters. It's not a feel-good message. In verse 16, God says very bluntly that his people are wicked, that they have forsaken him, that they've deserted him, they've walked out on him, they've, they've shacked up with idols, with other gods. See, God's hard word is that his people are thoroughly wicked and they will face judgment. See, it's not just a problem with the kings. It's not just a problem with the government. It's a problem with all the people. Verse 13, God will call a kingdom from the north. He will muster up a foreign army. He will summon this boiling pot. And this boiling pot will, will pour 
It's burning liquid all over the land, destroying it. It's a hard word. It's a hard message. And it won't be well received. Look at verse 19. Those who hear Jeremiah's message will fight against him. And verse 18 fills it out a little bit for us. It will be the kings, it will be the officials, the priests, the people of Judah. That list, you know, it's, it's everyone. Everyone will, will be against Jeremiah because of this hard word. And so we can see why Jeremiah needs courage, why he needs strength. He needs all the strength that he can get. And that's exactly what God gives him. He strengthens Jeremiah in two ways. The first one is in verse 11, where God shows him an almond tree. And it's a, it's a common plant in, uh, in Judah. It's like a gum tree would be for us. And so God uses this almond tree to strengthen Jeremiah, to encourage him. Have a look at verse 11. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Now, I, uh, I like a good dad joke. I like a good dad joke. Mother's Day is coming soon, but Father's Day will be soon as well. Uh, dad jokes, they usually a play on words, you know, they're puns, they're, they're things to do with rhymes, and, 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 and dads just love them. Just, I, I really do think there is something that happens genetically. When, uh, when a baby is born to the father. They just, they just become, they love dad jokes. Anyway, uh, here are some of my favourite dad jokes. Uh, what do you call a cow with three legs? Does anyone know? Three legs. Lean beef. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. There you go. It's a pun, right? Um, and God is, a, God is a heavenly father, and so it's no surprise that he also likes a good dad joke. And that's what we have here in these verses. We have a pun. We have a play on words. Because the Hebrew word for almond is saked. And the Hebrew word for watching is soked. Saked, soked, saked, soked. And so God uses this play on words to strengthen Jeremiah because every time Jeremiah sees a, a saked, he can remember that God is soked. Every time he sees an almond tree, he can remember that God is watching, that God is present, that God is there with Jeremiah, that God isn't absent. He hasn't sent Jeremiah on this, this mission and then he's, God's just like off looking somewhere else. God is watching Jeremiah. God is eager, and he is at work as Jeremiah speaks. God is there making sure that his words come true. And so the armor tree is this reminder to strengthen Jeremiah that God is with him in power. But the second way that God strengthens Jeremiah is in verse 17, uh, where he says, get yourself ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. So in verse 17, God tells Jeremiah to, to get himself ready, to prepare himself, to, to harden up. But notice in verse 18, 
at what God does in verse 18. That God makes Jeremiah like a, a fortified wall, like a thick wall around a city, like an iron pillar, a bronze wall. So God doesn't leave Jeremiah to his own devices. Jeremiah needs to harden himself up. He needs to get himself ready. But at the same time, God does it for him. God makes him resilient. God makes him strong so that he can stand against the opposition that he's going to face. See, another job I had, I was working as a uh, a visual arts teacher's aide in a school art department. And uh, as part of that, I would go uh, along with classes and, uh, and sometimes we would do clay sculptures. And it was cute. You know, you'd see these little kindy kids and we'd be making echidnas out of clay. And uh, there'd be some of them that were just stunningly brilliant. You know, they, the, the, these kindy kids had, had, picked the, had picked up the technique well. They've got these echidnas that look amazing. And then you'd have some kindy kids who just have no idea, right? It's just a all together. And so whether they were, were good sculptures or bad sculptures, they all had one thing in common. They were soft. They were weak and they were fragile. I could squash them in my hand. And that's why my job was to put them in the kiln. And in the kiln, we would, we would heat this thing up to amazing temperatures and these soft, squishy sculptures would be fired their softness would be transformed into strength. And at the end of the process, they became rock-solid, tough, and hard. And that is what God does for Jeremiah. He takes this soft, afraid person and makes him rock-solid in his conviction that he was speaking God's word. And so Jeremiah became strong enough to speak and to keep speaking even when people hated him for it. And we're going to see this as we look through Jeremiah, even when his fellow Jews verbally abused him, even when they beat him up, even when they threw him in jail and tried to kill him, Jeremiah stood strong and kept speaking. But more than that, God makes a promise in verse 19, where he promises they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. Why? For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. What a promise for Jeremiah about to, to start off in his ministry. What an encouragement that no matter what happened to him, no matter what the people did, no matter how dark the situation got and it would get dark, in the end, God would rescue him. And we will see that as we read through Jeremiah together. But that's for later on. For today, Jeremiah begins his first day on the job, appointed by God to be his prophet, chosen to speak the hard word of judgment, and strengthened by God to be faithful no matter what. Well, next week we'll continue looking at Jeremiah and his message. But for today, as we look at Jeremiah, as we look at his job, can you see how what Jeremiah was to do pointed to Jesus and what Jesus did. Can you see how Jeremiah foreshadowed Jesus? See, like Jeremiah, Jesus was appointed by God. Like Jeremiah, Jesus spoke God's hard word. 
He spoke God's message of judgment to the people of Judah. He called out their sin. And how did they respond? Well, they hated him. They fought against him, challenged his authority, tried to trap him in his words, conspired to to arrest him, plotted to kill him. And in the end, they succeeded. Jesus was executed on the cross because he spoke God's hard word. But those who hated Jesus didn't have the last word. Because just like God promised to rescue Jeremiah, God rescued Jesus from the grave. And now the risen Jesus has appointed us to speak. And he strengthens us by his spirit. Now, as we look at the book of Jeremiah, we need to be careful. Because Jeremiah was unique. Jeremiah had a special job. We need to be clear on this. Us. Us listening to Jeremiah, us Christians, we are not Jeremiah. We're not Jeremiah, okay? So when, you, when we read something that God says to Jeremiah, we can't just automatically go, that's for us. We are not Jeremiah. Jesus is Jeremiah. But Jesus has chosen us to speak his message, to share in the ministry that Jesus has of spreading the gospel word to the world. I mean, how amazing is that? What a privilege that Jesus gives this job to you and me. What an honour that we have been entrusted with God's word to take to the world. But there are ways in which we are like Jeremiah, aren't there? Like Jeremiah, we need God's help. We need him to give us strength because the gospel word is a hard word for people to hear. It's hard for people to hear that judgment is coming, that everyone, absolutely everyone, needs to turn back to God, that all have sinned and need forgiveness. It's a hard word to hear, and sometimes when people don't like the message, they take it out on the messenger. Of course, hostility to God's hard word is nothing new. And, of course, the level of hostility will vary from time to time and place to place. But it is true that hostility is, this hostility is increasing in Western countries and in our country it is becoming more and more daunting to speak God's message in our culture. And so we need God's help. We need God's strength. We need God to harden us up so that we would speak his hard word. We read earlier in Acts chapter 4, of the early church and how uh, the apostles got into some serious trouble for, for speaking about Jesus and they were, they were brought before the, uh, the, the court. They were threatened by the Jewish leaders, told to, to be quiet or to face the consequences. Well, how, how did they respond? We saw, uh, we saw Peter and John's response. But how did the wider church respond when they heard what happened? I mean, it would have been so tempting, wouldn't it? Imagine, imagine if, if we were there, if we were part of the early church and we've all gathered and you've heard a report from, uh, from your church leaders about what's happened to them because they spoke the gospel and we've all got a decision to make. It would be tempting to stop, 
to stop evangelism, to downplay mission, to, to focus just on those who are inside the church. But what did the, the early church do? Uh, they prayed. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, which you can see. Uh, they prayed, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they knew the threat. They knew the fear. They knew that, that what they were facing was scary. And yet they prayed for courage. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for strength to speak. They depended on God. And God answers their prayers in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You know, that same promise, that same spirit, he is available for us. How good is it to know that, that despite our fear, despite our inadequacies, we're not alone, that God is with us every step of the way and he strengthens us by his spirit so that we can speak with courage and with boldness. And so, let's pray for God's help. Let's recognise our dependence on him and ask him to strengthen us so that we would speak his gospel message with courage, so that God would work powerfully through us, so that his hard word would do its work, so that in the end, God would be glorified and people would be saved. Will you pray that with me for all of us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Jeremiah. We thank you, Father, that you speak. We thank you that you call us to listen to you and to your hard word so that we and all people might be saved. Father, we are often afraid of what it would mean for us to speak your word, to speak the gospel to those around us. Father, we, we need your help. And so we ask today that you would harden us all up, that you would strengthen us all, that we would speak with courage and boldness so that you would be glorified and that we would see those around us saved through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.